The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov slash careers slash USBP. So last episode, we told you we were Christians living in exile. Today, we want to kind of tell you how to live in exile, at least as best we can. So let's talk about it. Welcome in. This is Religionless Christianity. I'm your host, Spencer. This is my beautiful wife, Nikki. Hello. And yep, today we are going to try to do our best um, as far as we understand it to help you guys, you know, understand how we should live in exile as Christians. You know, last episode, we talked about how we're, we're not living in a Christian nation anymore. We've essentially through, uh, you know, our own shortcomings as citizens, we basically elected ourselves into an exiled land, Mm -hmm. you know, an anti-Christ country at this point. So now that we're here, you know, what do we do about it? How do we actually live, you know, in this new land that, you know, bears our name, but no longer really bears the resemblance Mm -hmm. to what we once were. So before we dive into this episode, honey, is there anything you'd like to say? I just want to say I am glad that Facebook locked me out of my, whatever, my account. Yes. <laughs> um, it was funny. I was actually thinking yesterday um, how much I hate Facebook as I'm on it. And I'm like, oh, I'm so depressed. And I'm like, oh, I miss when I had deleted my account and didn't have it for four months. And I had got back on, you know, to do the podcast and share some stuff. But, and then I got sucked back into everything and I don't know. And then, so I tried to change my, um, birth date, uh, information because I was getting like really inappropriate ads on Facebook. And I was like, what is going on? You know, I'd report them, you know, as all these different things. So they'd quit and they just got worse. And, so I'm like, maybe I'm just going to change my birth date to be like I'm 13 or something because I think you have to be 13 to have an account. So I tried to do that and it just locked me out <laughs> and I can't get back in unless um, they said I have to like upload a picture ID, like proof of identity to them, like driver's license. I'm like, no, no way. <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to let that account go. I didn't have it for very long, but. I'm happy. So I, I really am like, praise God. You just took that away. God knew I was depressed and just had it, it is, go away. A, <laughs> that social media addiction thing is a real thing. And it's definitely something we, I mean, we've been preaching on here forever. And I actually got convicted, you know, um, I don't know the name, but we had someone reach out to us on Discord. And as usually seems to happen, they're never really in our corner. Um, but I appreciate it anyways, because Again, like we've said before, we're not going to necessarily say we'll agree with all your points, but I do want to hear them, you know, if you disagree with us. But um, she did call us out, and we've talked about this before because we think you guys should all leave social media because it's a godless hellscape of a place. But we're on social media, you know, and we've made that justification of like, well, in order to reach people, you got to go there, and then maybe we can hopefully pull them away, get them to our Discord and that sort of stuff. And, you know, she did point out, you know, you tell everyone to get off social media, you're on social media. And 
That's true. And we're in the process of trying to at least leave the Facebook. I'm looking maybe to move the videos over to Rumble. Um, we've had, you know, Parlor kind of set up. We're trying to maybe make the full-time switch over there, but I'm so busy all the time that it's really, it's hard. And, you know, we get comfortable and relaxed in the stuff that we know, but uh, I do want to get away from Facebook and YouTube and Twitter because they are awful places, even though you do find some benefit, you know, that's how we got to meet Dr. James White and have him come preach at our church was through Twitter. So, but that doesn't make it, you know, it okay. And we are, you know, wanting to not be on there as much, even though you kind of, you know, you got to kind of dip your toe in that water in order to try to pull people out a little bit, or maybe we're just making excuses. So let us know. Um, we still want to hear from you guys and like, and subscribe if you're watching the video, um, until we move over to rumble. And if you're listening to the podcast, please consider, uh, following us, dropping a comment, sharing us with a friend. We would certainly appreciate all that. And then I got a prayer request. Um, I've mentioned before, we're going through some pretty physically tough training and it can be, you know, fairly like taxing on your, you know, fine motor skills and stuff like that. And not all the people in my class are doing very well. I praise God I'm doing just fine, but other people aren't, um, you know, as used to doing a lot of the things that we do. So they're struggling and falling behind a little bit and you can see them sort of beating themselves up over it. And, uh, just want to pray for those guys to find, you know, just some positive attitudes. Cause it's really not a pass fail type of thing. You know, it's more of a, you know, you just fall behind and people wind up walking away because, you know, they beat themselves up over it. So just, you know, keep my classmates in your prayers. I'd appreciate it. So, um, but okay. Talking about living in exile, and this has been something, you know, like I mentioned, we were talking about this previously, and on TikTok, um, again, another <laughs> awful, so, but honestly, you know, TikTok has been good, a place for us to kind of do short little daily devotionals, and I've been going through the book of Genesis, um, looking most recently at Joseph's life. And it just really stuck out to me as we were doing this episode last week about living in exile and then reading about Joseph, who obviously an incredibly godly man who lived his life in exile. And I was like, man, he has a lot of good insights that we, I think, can learn from on how right. we should behave ourselves now that we find ourselves in an exiled land. I think we can learn a lot from the Old Testament and how, like, what we should do. Should we, what things should we obey how much should we be involved, like, not just back out, like, yeah. just leave? <laughs> I've been finding myself drawn a lot to the Old Testament, and I think a lot of times when you get people, because then this is another complaint that we've had, you know, that, you know, we're legalistic or something, um, which I certainly don't think we are, but I think anytime you tell somebody that there's a rule to follow, they're like, oh, legalism, you know? But I yeah. think a lot of that comes from and maybe this is just my own speculation that a lot of people don't spend enough time in the old Testament mm -hmm. because it's still for us today. The old Testament didn't go away because the new Testament came, um, you know, all of, you know, Jesus, what he was talking to us, the prophecies he was, he was fulfilling our old Testament, the apostles, what they were speaking to their church. That was largely old Testament. Yeah. They just made it 
you know, more in line with what God's actual design was. Um, mm-hmm. So there's still a lot of truth that we can garner. Now, obviously not all ceremonial laws and those sorts of things. And there's smarter people that, you know, talk to you guys about the difference in the law from the Old Testament. Yeah. Well, when I was just reading Matthew today, and Jesus says in Matthew 5, several times, you have heard that it was said to those of old. And he says several things, but he says, but I tell you. So he's just letting them know it was said, but it means more than what you think it means. Right. So, so he wasn't saying like, hey, all that stuff in the Old Testament, don't listen to anymore. Yep. He's just saying it was said, you guys got it a little bit wrong. Let me clarify. Yeah. He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So I think a lot of times whenever you dig into like Old Testament stuff, you know, a lot of newer age sort of Christians hear that as legalism mm-hmm. rather than like, no, this is still scripture that we need to God adhere is to. the same from the beginning. And now, like if he said, you know, something's a sin back then, it's a sin today. And it's usually sin we're talking about, but how to walk among a godless uh, city or nation it's always representing God and walking in love, but in the truth. People forget yeah. the truth part. They throw it out the window and just say love and tolerance. I think that's just kind of a thought. Maybe that's why people, too, when you tell them, like, you know, you correct people. You tell them, hey, man, this life that you're living in sin is going to lead you off the narrow path. And they hear that as judgment, and they hate it, and they push back. And again, maybe that's because they don't read through a lot of the Old Testament where, like, I mean, that's what the prophets did. Like they were telling people all the things they got wrong and the impending judgment that was Mm -hmm. going to come on them if they didn't correct it. Now, obviously they were speaking in God's name, essentially, which we're not doing. On behalf of God. Yeah. Yeah. But like, that's what they were doing. And, um, you know, God gave us the Bible, right? He wrote it. So we're not defining what sin is. And I think, again, that's why people see, and I'm sorry, we're kind of off on a tangent here. We'll get this back eventually. Mm -hmm. But I think, you know, when people are like, ah, who are you to judge me and all that? It's not a judgment of your soul if it's going to heaven or hell, but God has already told us what sin is. That's in the Bible. And he tells us the way that we're supposed to live. So we're judging the path they're on, the path they're on and how you're adhering to these rules. And it's unloving to see somebody walking the wide path and mm-hmm. not pull them back and go, Hey right. man, look, that path you got off on is the wide path. Well, just like a little kid getting disciplined in the moment. They feel like they don't like it. They feel like you hate them. And then later on, they're like, thank you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if they, you know, are thoughtful and introspective, they will say thank you. And that's the way a lot of Christians are like, you know, they probably pushed back a lot in their younger life. And then they looked back and went, oh, man, you know, a lot of that stuff that I heard before was true. Um, I just didn't, I wasn't ready to receive it then. So mm-hmm. I just want to say that. Um, so getting back into the living in exile, I think we wrote down six points here, um, kind of looking through Joseph's life, but also Daniel, who is a great, I think, reference point. So the first one that we got here that I wrote down on how you should live in exile is not to forget your roots, Um, you know, the faith that you've come to know. I think in an exiled land, you know, you're going to be, or at least they're going to try to sway you towards their idols or towards their false gods. Um, Mm -hmm. So you have to be careful, you know, to remember where you came from. And I wrote down here um, from Daniel, 
Daniel 1.8. Oh, I think I have it on the screen here. He says, uh, from Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. So here's Daniel in an exiled land, remembering where he came from and saying, like, I understand what you guys do. That's not what we do. Um, he didn't forget where he came from. And I think that's important for us as Christians. Yeah, I think that's a big thing is people, they don't even know where they came from. And if they're of God, because they don't know God is the main thing you see, you have an idea of who God is, but you need to know him to be able to follow him. Yeah, you need to know him and um, and not be swayed by whatever is like the new him. Because this was mm -hmm. one of the things we got kind of right. told is that our beliefs are antiquated. Um, and I don't think that's an uncommon belief for people that, you know, especially for like me and Nikki, who are more of a reformed persuasion in Christianity, they're like, ah, you're antiquated. Um, we would consider that just traditional, you know, it's the same thing mm -hmm. you hear on a political spectrum. If you're conservative, like, ah, you know, you're, you're old school or you're stuck in the past when you're like, no, no, I just, I kind of believe what we were founded on is still the best way to do mm -hmm. things. Um, and I think it's goes the same for our faith. You know, you can't be like, oh, I don't want to be like thought of as, you know, an old antiquated belief system. So I'm going to listen to all these new age ideas. And that's where I think a lot of Christians have found themselves and where you get swayed into mm -hmm. this, you know, um, and I hate to always kind of beat up on the prosperity gospel, but that's a very modern, especially easy thing to attach onto. But you're also seeing it with the, uh, the social justice Christianity. It's kind of a newfangled um, idea of Christianity where people are being sucked away and they're starting to place their race and their color mm. sort of above their um, identity in Christ. So I think that's kind of a new way where people are being pulled away in this exiled land. And you have to remember back to like, we're all the same body. You know, we're all. Yeah, the gospel's really just been, it's getting torn apart and becoming its own different gospel. Like it's just ripping apart the body. Yeah, it's just, like a different gospel for each group. Yeah, it's like we all started out, but then somebody hears something different. I don't know why all those things lure them away and something that causes division and causes them to hate other believers. I think it's because they forget where they came from. Um, so I think that's point number one. Don't forget your roots. Um, know the faith that you come from. And mm -hmm. something that will help with that is our point number two. Um, prepare yourself through prayer and scripture reading. Um, you know, I think persecution has come and it will continue to mm -hmm. come and get worse um, when you start to resist the new land and the leaders of that new land. Yeah, um, only when you resist. It's going to be easy if you just go with the flow. Yeah, I mean, if you want to choose the, the idols and the false gods of the new land, and then sure, it's going to be a lot more comfortable, but... You look at Joseph's life, you know, Genesis uh, 40 and 41, right? Joseph, stick, he remembers his roots, right? He won't defile himself with Potiphar's wife. Um, and because of that, he gets thrown in prison. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he lives up to his, you know, prophet status, I guess, as far as going to God and interpreting dreams and all these sorts of things. But he never sells anybody out. He never really, right. like, sells out his faith in order to try to get ahead. He just 
accepts his lot in life. If the Bible tells you God's with him, he was close to mm-hmm. him. Um, but, you know, he was prepared for this journey. Obviously, his dad was Jacob. You know, <laughs> it'd be great if, you know, one of the fathers of our faith was your dad. But yeah. Joshua was obviously well prepared for this situation. But we have God as our father now. Sure. He wasn't yes. known as father then. <laughs> he wasn't. But, you know, that is how you can prepare yourself to know if you're being swayed to the left or the right or to a new false gospel, um, you know, or a new false religion is you need to prepare yourself now. Don't listen to someone tell you what the Bible says or what you're supposed to believe. You got to open it up for yourself. What was the Bereans, the Berean church that actually tested everything being told to them? They looked in the Bible or the Torah Mm -hmm. and saw if everything lined up. So it wasn't every church that did that. It was, no. they were, um, I guess the only ones that we know of that actually tested all things. And that's, nobody does that. Well, just think about today. as we get ready to, uh, we're five days away from Reformation Day. And we've been going through the 95 Theses and Martin Luther's life with our kids. And just think of Martin Luther, right? They, 1517, the church is, you know, it's the Roman Catholic Church that's basically the only church in all of Europe that he's a part of. And he's the only guy Mm -hmm. who opens the Bible up for himself and is like, what are we doing here? Like, Mm -hmm. what are we selling? Not many people. Fascinating. This little book that I bought, it tells you that he wrote, um, what was it? He wrote the 95 theses in 1517. And it wasn't until like 1519 where he actually like fully explained them out. Or something. So, like, it still done. took him two years to basically unpack. Like, he read it, he knew the church was wrong, and he told them they were wrong. And then it took him two extra years of like solitude and study to be like, because even his beliefs changed in those two years from what he, because whatever, we'll get into Martin Luther some other time. But yeah, yeah like, you got to read the Bible for yourself. Um, and pray and ask God to open up the scriptures to you. Um, mm-hmm. So then the third point, once you've, you know, remembered your roots, you're prepared, you're praying and stuff. I think you need to look for opportunities to witness about God and then use those opportunities to share the gospel. And if you look at Daniel's life uh, or not Daniel's life, I'm sorry, but in the book of Daniel, Daniel three sixteen, you read about Shad, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego Um, And they get brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he tells them, you know, whatever, if you don't renounce your God, he's going to throw them into the fiery furnace. And that's their opportunity to witness about God. Mm -hmm. And they tell him, like, you can throw us in the fiery furnace. Our God can save us. Mm -hmm. And even if he doesn't, like, we're not going to bow down to you. So they gave him a testimony about who their God was. And now that opened up an opportunity Mm -hmm. forever to witness Um, obviously they didn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you get the idea, right? And so this could be in our life. Maybe it's a vaccine mandate and you have religious reasons for not getting it. You lose your job. You know, maybe you're pulled into the boss's office and that's an opportunity for you to be like, look, man, you can fire me. My God will take care of me Mm -hmm. and he will. And then when you get that new job, you've got a gospel opportunity. Hey boss, I told you my God was faithful and look what he did for me. Let me tell you about this God that I serve. Because yeah, I mean, when you give in to, you know, when they twist your arm and you give in, 
you've just let go of an opportunity for God to show himself. You've put yourself, your comfort before God showing himself mighty in your life. You're like, no, God, yeah. I got this. I'll take care of me. It's really what you're saying. Yeah. Or like you just don't realize the opportunity that you have. And this is why yeah. we've talked a lot recently about drawing those lines for yourself, figuring them out. Because if you don't know what your line is, then you're not going to know where to like make that stand for God. Because again, it may not be the vaccine for you. Um, it could be, you know, anything else where you have an opportunity open to you to like make a stand or a witness for God. And if you don't have that line or whatever, you're just going to miss those opportunities and you're going to miss mm -hmm. follow on gospel opportunities and really just chances to brag about God because <laughs> you should be looking for mm -hmm. opportunities to be like, I told you he was faithful. I told you he was good. Um, and then those are just chances for people to be like, man, you know, he did tell me that. He did tell me he'd be okay. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, think about what Nebuchadnezzar said. I think even in Daniel, it goes on to say that he basically, Nebuchadnezzar basically went on to say that no one in all of Babylon was allowed to like badmouth the Hebrew God or whatever. Like mm -hmm. that witness opportunity, it didn't necessarily save Nebuchadnezzar, but it changed his thoughts on their God. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. I might be twisting scripture just a little bit, but you, you know what I'm saying. Um, so it did change Nebuchadnezzar's mind. So you got to look for opportunities to witness about God. Yeah. And then point number four, uh, I think you need to be careful who you let into your fold. Um, false teachers and false believers will abound. And if you even look into Genesis 44, you know, Jacob, this isn't necessarily a straight correlation, but he sort of tests his brothers um, when they come back the second time into Egypt, he sort of puts them through a little test to make sure like, hey, did you actually do what I told you to do? Did you bring your younger brother back and these sorts of things? And um, they ultimately prove to be truthful. But we need to test in this new um, exiled land. You know, I pulled from Bonhoeffer. Um, mm. I've talked about this book plenty of times before. It'll be linked down in the description. You can find it on our website. But the way the Nazi church sort of infiltrated Germany um, and all of their, you know, false teachers. And I read this interesting paragraph again from, um, let me see where it says. Yeah, it says... Um, as the church sort of started up in Nazi Germany, um, it says par Pastor Niemöller, they're talking about Martin Niemöller, who was a, a great man of God in the confessing church, I believe, in Germany, pushing back against the Nazi Germans. Um, it says Pastor Niemöller had been a U-boat captain during the First War, who was awarded an Iron Cross for bravery. He had initially welcomed the Nazis, so he was not aware of who he was dealing with. Um, hailing them as the heroes who would restore Germany's dignity, chase the communists from the country, and restore moral order. Niemöller met with Hitler privately, privately in 1932, and Hitler had given him personal assurance that he would keep his hands off the church and would never institute pogroms against the Jews. This was good enough for Niemöller, uh, and it says he was, you know, whatever, it was good enough for Niemöller. And I thought, man, like there's a perfect description of like a man of God who was taken in mm -hmm. by false uh, 
false believers, false leaders in that community. And obviously, we all know the way that that turned out for Germany. Learning from history, even in that, I bet not many people know that. Yeah, like, I mean, the, the early German church had many opportunities and meetings with Adolf Hitler and Nazi Germany. And um, it even goes on in that book to talk about how Bonhoeffer had proposed some pretty dramatic stances that the, the traditional, you know, real Christian German church needed to take to push back on the Nazi church. And what's, let me see if I can pull it up here, because I read it and I was like, my God, that's not America today. I don't know what is. And it said, um, you know, he talks about Bonhoeffer began to see the opposition to Hitler and the German Christians was weak and divided in Germany. And he proposes basically an idea that he says the German church should no longer do state funerals. Like that should be something we do to punish, like kind of push back on this Nazi Germany. And it says, as would always be the case, their suggestion was too strong and too dramatic for most of the conciliatory Protestant leaders. <laughs> I was like, man, that is, I mean, that hasn't changed a bit since Bonhoeffer's day. Anytime you tell a Christian today to be like, no, nah, dude, you need to draw a line in the sand and stand for your faith. And you need to tell people when they're wrong, when they've gone astray. They're like, hold on a second. Like, you mean we can't celebrate Halloween? How dare you? And you're like, I don't know. Okay, well, like, what are you going to do then? You got to have these lines. I don't know. I think this is something we need to bring up more often, ask people more often, where is your line with everything? But yeah, I mean, because you see it all the time. I mean, the false teachers and the false believers abound in this country. I mean, we've talked about the social justice leaders and those, you know, Mm -hmm. basically racists wrapped in preacher's garbs, you know, that are leading people astray and, Mm. you know, Episcopalian transgendered priests that are leading people astray and all sorts of different things. Or even if it's just a real believer that, you know, isn't living a godly life at all, right? Like, Maybe they're given into that drunkenness and whatever it happens to be like that's leading you maybe away from a path that you know you should be on, but they're friends, right? Maybe they're an old friend and they just kind of lead you away from mm-hmm. actually living a life devoted to God. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, maybe they're too plugged into this exiled land and you need to start pulling back from that. So, yeah, everybody uses the, the saying that, you know, you're not being loving you know, just when someone becomes a Christian, they their friends say, "What's wrong with you? You're too good for us," and stuff like that. And yeah, they do guilt them, and they go back to their friends because they don't want them to think they don't love them. Yeah, that's and, probably the first test a new believer is going to get. And really, a lot of that's on our it's our fault and the new believer's fault, right? Because there's a gospel opportunity. Hey, man, it's not that I don't like you guys or I don't whatever want to spend time with you, but like it does, it no longer takes the place of my God. Like, let me tell you why I'm mm-hmm. doing what I'm doing. Um, and then I just wrote down here from Jeremiah 29 um, verses, things like six and seven. But you know, Jeremiah prophesied about the uh, Israel being exiled to Babylon. And he says, uh, or in verse eight here, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. So here's Jeremiah telling these people, like, 
Amen. Like I'm telling you what God said, do not listen to these false prophets and these false, you know, mystics or whatever that are going to tell you. And me and Nikki were just having this and Nikki might bring this up in another episode or so next week, maybe about, you know, we these prophets nowadays are like, thus saith the Lord. And you're like, Ooh, be careful. <laughs> if you're start talking about thus says the Lord, I'm not saying you're wrong, but you better be treading lightly. You better line up with scripture. Yeah. I just don't like when they say, you hear this a lot, the Lord is doing a new thing. Yeah, he's doing a new thing. Apart like, from his word, he's okay. changed his mind. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, so point number five here, um, love your brothers when they come back or, you know, probably in our case, when they wake up. Um, and in Genesis 45, you see this again with Joseph, right? He tests his brothers and all this, but he loves them. Once they, you know, mm -hmm. he realizes who they are and they're faithful and the true. And yeah. he tells them, Hey, I'm Joseph, your brother. And they all weep together. And mm. he I, loves I them. get all teary. I don't ever, I read that part. I get it's yeah. so emotional, but I really was thinking about like, they really did him wrong and he still had a deep love for them. And I mean, we can learn from Joseph here, no matter what someone does wrong to us, we can have a deep love for those too. like love your enemies. Yeah. And just like, think most people aren't going to do us as wrong as they did him. Yeah. He was in a position where he could have had them all, all killed. Like he, yeah. he was in the position, could have easily done it. And they wouldn't have even known it was their brother. No, they didn't know it was Joseph at first. And in our case, most of the people here think that they're doing right. You know, they don't think that like, oh, I'm following a false leader or a false. They think that what right, they're doing. Right. So it's not out of like anger or judgment, you know, as people like to say that you're coming to them and being like, hey, man, what you're doing and what you're believing in is wrong. You should be out of love and compassion that I want you to be on the right path. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure your life is you know, as right before God as you can make it and, you know, pointing out their flaws or it doesn't mean that you're somehow better than them. Cause you've got a, we've got a million flaws to be pointed out. Well, right. Nikki only has like two, I've got a million <laughs> flaws. Stop. Um, you better sharpen me. Don't tell me that. So it's not out of anger or anything like that. Like Joseph had the opportunity to be angry you know, for us, yeah. it's more like compassion and just trying to wake them up and you're going to get pushback. And mm -hmm. it's probably not even anger from them necessarily, but like they think they're right, you know? So you're just kind of trying to help them wake up and see like Bonhoeffer and these guys were doing in Nazi Germany. I mean, they might've been angry at the leaders and Hitler and these sorts of people, but the actual just day-to-day -day German Christian that was sucked into this false Nazi church, there was no anger towards them. It was compassion that They've been led astray. So in our case, man, when they wake up and you actually get them to see um, what they're dealing with and mm. and that sort of stuff, have compassion on them and Just welcome them back. hug them and weep with them like Joseph did with his brothers. Like that's our attitude we should have. We can't be like this I told you so attitude that everybody's Unless you're a man, talking though. About. Don't break out weeping Don't. with other men. <laughs> I mean, you can go back to your God prayer made closet. You that way. We... Don't make fun of something that God created. All right, you. let's move along then. We're not talking about weeping. So, um, the last point here, point number six, as we look ready or look to wrap this episode up, is once they are awake, um, again, welcome them back into your family. And we need to increase. You know, we've talked about the dreadful numbers in this country of 
real, you know, maybe they don't believe necessarily the same thing that you believe, but like they're true sold out Christians, right? Mm -hmm. That number's small. I mean, we talked about 6% with a biblical worldview. That's probably pretty accurate, mm -hmm. in my opinion, um, of the true Christians in this nation. So we need to increase. And um, again, in Genesis 46, you see this, Joseph um, sends his brothers to bring their families back to Egypt. He brings true believers, Israelites, mm -hmm. into his fold, um, brings his dad back, um, Jacob. And even in uh, Jeremiah chapter 29, that back half versus, I think it's, I don't know, I got it all screwed up here. Somewhere between six and nine, he says, um, take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for mm. in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Mm. So Jeremiah is telling them, like, increase your fold, right? Grow the numbers, because that's where you're going to find your welfare is in this exiled land. You're not getting out of it, right? God already told you 70 years. So you might as well make the best of it you can. And we're not getting out of America. There's nowhere left to go. This is it. So um, we've got to grow our fold here. Um, like he says here, we need to pray on its behalf. Pray for America. Don't just give up on it because this is the land we've been given. Right. Um, and this is where, again, we're going to find our welfare here, you know, because <laughs> where are you going to go? China, Russia, you know, be persecuted worse. Mm -hmm. So because we know what's best for others who even are unbelievers, we want things to go well for everyone, not just for us. So the welfare of the city, the welfare of our nation. I don't know why, but people don't see the oppression. It's like they like being oppressed. And it is just crazy trying to convince people because they think they're they're following the right way. They're just following yeah. oppression and death. And it really is like they're sleeping. They're sleeping. Yeah. And, you know, it's uncomfortable to tell people they're asleep um, because you kind of have to be confident enough, I guess, in it. And, you know, this is something we even struggle with because, again, you know, people love the sermons when they, you know, I don't know how much pushback Joel Olstein really gets on his day, -day when he's like, ah, oh, God's going to bless you and open the windows of heaven. And people are like, yeah, no one's ever like, shut up, Joel. I don't want God's blessings. Like, <laughs> they're always down. But when you're like, I mean, for God's sakes, Jeremiah was put in stocks and almost killed and Christ was killing. No one wants to hear the harsh news of like, there's actually some things you got to do in ways you have to live. If you want to be a Christian, no yeah. one wants to hear that, but, um, yeah. you know, we need to have the confidence in ourselves mm -hmm. and in the God that we believe in and to tell people, wake them up and then bring them back in and, um, increase. And, you know, this again is why we've talked before about, you know, the place for the church, the church is not an outreach ministry. It's a place where, right brothers and sisters in Christ grow in their faith so that they can go out into this exiled land and take some of the land back for ourselves. But if we start letting every godless unbeliever prideful in their sin into the church and just pretending like they can be there all the time and it's perfectly fine, it's not because you're weakening the family and you know, mm -hmm. you're, you're just weakening the church in that point. So, um, yeah, we'd love to hear from, well, do you have any last thoughts here, baby, on this topic? No, I just, 
I just love that last uh, verse in there. I just we just always hear render unto Caesars what what is Caesars, and nobody's brought this verse up. Seek the welfare of the city where I've sent you in exile, and pray the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. Nobody's brought that up. When you brought that up today, I was like, why is nobody saying that? Why is nobody in the church talking about this? Everybody's just wanting to like give up and expect persecution to just come, but they're not fighting. It's like God has given you this land. He has put us in positions, in leadership positions too, in the nation. And we're all just supposed to, oh, persecution's coming on the horizon. Let's just welcome it. Yeah, they just, I mean, it's banging on the door, but let's just open the door and just let it come in instead of holding it down. Why? I mean, we even get sucked into that too. I mean, we get just as distraught as anybody when we see the state oh, of the have. world that we live in. But yeah, I mean, this is still our country and, you know, mm-hmm. we still have to fight for it and seek to make the best, you know, country that we can because, you know, even the atheists, so-called atheists, um, unbelievers and those sorts of people, They don't even realize it, but they live the best life they have when we have a Christian nation that's submitted to God because it's God's world, it's God's, you know, existence. When things are lined up with his way of Mm -hmm. doing things, it it flourishes. So everybody benefits when we live in a a more Christ-centered and God-centered land. So um, if you guys have any other points that you think would be helpful for Christians living in exile, we'd love to hear from you. Mm-hmm. On those, if you think we're off base, you know, again, we don't guarantee that we'll uh, agree with you, but we definitely want to hear where we, you know, you think we're off base. So uh, that is all we have. We got some news to talk about on Saturday, um, our modern day Dr. Evil uh, yeah. <laughs> being fully exposed. So we'll bring that on Saturday. And who knows, there might be more Mars Hill next week. If not, I have a topic that I'm dying to get off my chest. And um, if I'm around, it may be just Nikki next week. We'll see. I might be gone. But either way, it'll be awesome. So that's all we got for you guys. Love you. God bless. God bless.